Hello and welcome to Extraordinary, the podcast that shines a light on ordinary people who have gone on to do and see extraordinary things. In this episode, I chat to Kieran Atkin, who tells me about his experience of being groomed when he was just 15 years old. This podcast does indeed contain references to sexual assault, which some listeners may find disturbing. So please do not listen to this episode if you feel you may be affected. There are, of course, a number of ways to seek help, and I'll leave those helpline numbers in the description below. If you do enjoy this podcast episode, please don't forget to subscribe from wherever you're listening from to be notified of future releases. Enjoy the show. So, Kieran, thank you so much for joining today. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm all good. I'm all good. It's um, like we were just saying, it's bright and early on a Sunday morning and we've got clear heads and we're ready for uh, what I hope is going to be a really, really powerful conversation. Definitely. I'm excited. So before we jump into your your story, um, I'm keen to understand uh, who you are and what you do for a living. So my name is Kieran and I um, actually have a new job in uh, sales. So I, yeah, I'm an account manager for um, in the sales industry. So fun stuff. <laughs> Lovely. And you're from up north. You've got a beautiful northern accent, which um, for those who know, I um, have family in Leeds and I went to Leeds University. So you're you are from you're from Leeds, aren't you? I was born here and I don't think I'll ever move away, to be fair. I feel like I'm stuck forever. <laughs> well, it, it's the best. It's the best city. Actually, it's the second best city after London. But yeah, I love Leeds. Leeds is great. Yeah, it's 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 quite closer you know everything's close by um i live in the center so it's you know it's it's such a it's such a vibe i think so yeah i do love that cool all right listen so we're going to talk about like extremely sensitive issues and this is the first time i believe you've spoken publicly about your story so um we're not i don't think either of us are really sure what to expect Um, But just thank you for reaching out and um, giving me the opportunity to share your story with everyone. And I think it's going to be hugely important and hugely powerful for so many people listening. So I guess my first question is, why now? Like, Why do you feel like now's the time to talk about it? I guess when things like this happen, you live in shame. And like, I've gone through the motions of, you know, like that after afterthought of you know what now what can I do to help and I guess because I no longer have that shame and you know the shame is on you know the person who did this not me um and that's the first biggest point and the second biggest point is I never had a role model or somebody that I could relate to in this kind of situation and especially being you know so young you know not many people you know had access to things like this and I guess now it's social media is so big in you know in the world right now and I think having helping one person would mean so much to me and if it doesn't it's still also helping me so I guess that's why I'm here absolutely I love that and I always say within situations like this it's a case of we never had these podcasts we never had people having these conversations when we were growing up and I think we'll come on to it in a sec but I wonder what could have happened if things were more open and more transparent back in the day when you were younger or when I was younger or when any young LGBT person is in the closet looking for role models or relatable people um, that really reflect who they are and what they stand for. And we can't be what we can't see. And I think that can be a really dangerous place for, for young people. And clearly you put yourself in 
well, you didn't put yourself in a dangerous position, but you were unfortunately in a dangerous position, maybe because of what social norms told us. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So let's go back to the beginning, um, to where it all started. Can you just bring that to life for us? Yeah. So it all started, um, you know, being young, I, I didn't feel different, but I just didn't feel the same as everyone else, I guess. And I, I was very, you know, confused for a long time, for a few years, and it didn't really affect me. I just kind of was every day was the same. I was, you know, I, you know, I had girlfriends at school and it just never felt the same as what people were making it out to be. Um, and it all started when, you know, the thoughts were, what am I, am I, you know, am I gay? You know, I'm looking at men in the street instead of women. This is new to me. And I guess, um, that whole, conversation in my mind was the start of the like vulnerability of trying to find some comparison and someone to relate to and with that I decided to um, explore that on social media uh, through the app grinder and um, I'm not sure how at that time I can't quite remember how I found about this how you know I found out about this but um I'm not sure if, I don't know if it was in school when, you know, people were like, oh, are you on Grindr? And, you know, I had I had lots of things said about me and to me and things, but because I was a bit more flamboyant than anyone else. But I don't know if it was that. And, you know, I, I, I found the app and decided to reach out to people to try and figure out who I am. Um, and obviously, in turn, that ended up being what this story is all about. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so that's where it started. So how how old were you at the time? So I was um, almost 16, so I was 15 at the time. So I guess this is a classic case of a 15-year-old schoolboy feeling unsure about their sexuality and like all of us can relate to that. And it's, and it's like, from what you were saying, I can imagine it being extremely difficult. And again, from first-hand knowledge, it, of course, it, you, you don't know where you are in society. If you've got any sort of sense of shame or difference, it's how do you explore that? How do you express that? How do you find your community and Mm -hmm. I think that's what leads you know people at whatever age you know if if it wasn't Grindr it would have been a website or it would have been you know a a place or something that you go to to find like-minded people definitely I think because there is nowhere to go or wait what you think anyway your case when you go through this um you believe is so isolated and Mm. you you forget I mean I mean now that you know there is probably a lot more you know groups and places you can go and think probably in school nowadays that I've recently found out about that you know there's places that you can reach out to but at that time I felt so isolated and and so alone and I guess it was it was a place that I was told about that I could oh this could be you know this could be the start of something that I've never been able to reach yeah yeah definitely so this was around so this was around nine ten years ago now yeah yeah. So what year was that? <laughs> Do some quick maths. That was like um, 2000 and where were we? About 2013. 2013, yeah. 12, 13. Yeah, t- t- 2013. Yeah, and, yeah, it's mad because I guess social media was still, you know, in its infancy. It was only kind of five, six years old. I, I don't yeah. know how long Grind has been going, but I guess, you know, it could be a force for good. It could give you opportunities to meet people, but it also can be an extremely dangerous place, which I'm sure we're going to come on to. Definitely. Yeah. I think social media has grown. And at that time it, it was still big, but it 
there was not as many things out there as what there is now. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. So, so you're soon to turn 16 and you've downloaded Grindr. You're obviously not out yet or you're still kind of figuring things out for yourself. So what was that, you know, the downloading experience and the first kind of, you know, discovery phase of that like, yeah, if you can I remember? Mean, yeah, I, I can't remember like, you know, all the ins and outs on that part, but I, I just remember kind of feeling somewhat less confused and it was it was opening a whole new world of who I could potentially be and at that time I guess I didn't know the you know the stigma on what grinder is um, and what it can be so at that time it was just so exciting to find people around especially nearby that I could speak to about how I'm feeling and what's going through my head and I guess I was just looking for a companion that would understand Uh, and I assume you had kind of a a discreet profile um your your Mm -hmm. picture wasn't on it and kind of like there were no details given so you were just there to to observe Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I was like, I will speak to somebody like it was more, I just want to see that I'm not abnormal. That it exists, that there's a whole world out there of like LGBT people on, on an app that exactly. are friends with each other. And yeah, no, totally. That makes complete sense. And I, I've said this before, but it, this is a straight privilege that straight people don't have to do. You, yeah. They don't have to come out. They can be themselves. They can meet friends. They don't, there's no coming out as straight. Whereas if you are LGBT, you have to sort of figure all of this stuff out and it's your identity. And to do that in your teenage years is, an, is extremely late. Like there were girlfriends, like you said, in the playground, there's always boyfriends and girlfriends and kiss chase and, you know, parties and people are hooking up and there's proms and it, it's an extremely traumatic situation for an lgbt person to be you know exposed to mm-hmm. it, it's strange how different it is growing up as uh, you know a queer child like it's i almost like don't understand how straights don't have like that thought process of mm-hmm. who am i you know but i guess it is just that societal norm of men and women and that's just it yeah um, obviously things have changed you know a bit now but um, at the time like being gay was just still a massive stigma of course totally I mean yeah we live in a completely straight world yeah um so so you're on Grindr and then what happened so this is quite a hazy memory of like exactly at this point I remember that it wasn't I wasn't on there for a long time, um, but within that time that I was on, maybe I think it was a couple of weeks, um, there was a, a guy who was much older who'd messaged me and decided to add me on Skype, which was quite big at that time. Of, I mean, I was with my friends on there and, you know, we'd, we'd Skype quite a lot and things. Um, so he, I ended up adding him on my Skype at the time. Um, and it kind of, that's where it kind of transferred to. And I, I remember deleting the app thinking, Okay, I know, I know, I'm good. You know, I'm, I know there's, I know there's a place. I, I knew that I was on there at a young age, and I was almost, you know, ashamed of getting on there at that at that age myself. And still now, it's like God. If I was, if I, if I were turned back time, you know, it's it's such a weird thing. And I think it's just the stigma of grinder as well um, that that comes that comes with that. But yeah, so it, it was moved to Skype um, quite quickly on. 
Um, and it was just friendly, to be fair, really early on. And it just didn't, it wasn't a thought in my mind that, you know, anything that was eventually going to happen wouldn't, would happen. Of course. And, and so, so you had just met this, this one guy, um, and I assume you were, you were quite open and honest about who you were, how old you were, what you looked like. Uh, and given that you moved on to Skype, which believe it or not, I can't, I mean, I, I know from again, firsthand experience that that was a thing. Like people used to, in the same way that people would use FaceTime now or voice notes, like we all used Skype to communicate. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was like the evolution of MSN from memory. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you kind of, you moved on to Skype and therefore you're you know you were open and honest about who you were I assume yeah so I guess even though I was so unsure of myself I I knew that that's who I was it was like it was like just that, that all I needed with that grinder and that Skype was that just that step over that line of going yes this is who I am um and that for me was that moment and it allowed me to speak, you know, and that's why I was on there to, 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 to connect with somebody, um, to speak. And, you know, I was so open with, um, ask, I, w- I think, you know, all these questions you ask in your head, I was asking out loud to him and he was just, so it, it all just made sense and it all just, you know, came crashing down. And it was, it was as if I was coming out to everybody at one time and just yeah. in that moment almost in like a mentor mentee relationship because yeah. you're asking questions you're like how does it work like where do people go like uh, what well, yeah what well, I mean what kind of questions were you asking I guess it was feelings like I, I was I was looking I remember walking down Brigitte if anyone knows Leeds like this yeah. is a big Brat, shopping Brat. street <laughs> um I was walking down the biggest shopping street in Leeds and I remember just thinking why am I looking at men? And it, it was so confusing. And that was a big question that I, I was living on, you know, for some months when I first started getting that feeling. Um, and that's what I asked him. And, he, you know, he answered the question um, like, you know, this is this is who you are. You know, you might not be attracted to women and that's good. And, you know, it was it was so companionship relationship that we had. Yes. Yeah. And I guess you cherish that, like that feels like a really warming, supportive person to have in your life. Yeah, I mean, I'm so close to my, all my family, and but still, I was so disconnected to them in that part of my life. So with him, it was it was like he was family because he it was the only person I ever would have gone to about this in my life. Um, so yeah, it was it was just such a big moment in my life, definitely. And how long were, were you? I mean, how often and for how long were you having those conversations? It was definitely daily. Um, obviously, I was going to school and, you know, I was seeing friends and stuff. So it wasn't really like all the time as much as what I'm on my phone these days. Um, but it, it was, you know, it might have been once a day, once every two days, just kind of like, hey, how are you doing? Like, And he'd, he'd ask, you know, he'd come to me and say, how, how have you been? How are your thoughts? Like, what's what's been going on and stuff? So it, it was literally just a friend. Yeah. For how long? Were you talking regularly before you met him in real life? I think it was a couple of uh, months, maybe two or three months. Um, I was kind of, I kind of knew that I was still quite shy and I didn't want to put myself in a vulnerable position, I guess. And meeting somebody was like another next step of, you know, and I, yeah, so I think it, it, I remember there was a few things 
that happened, you know, during this point of like Skyping and stuff that I was like, um, yeah, he's, I trust him. He's been there all this time. He's answered all these questions. It all makes sense. I'm, I'm now gay, you know, it's everything made sense. And I guess it was after, I think it was three months and he was like, let's, you know, let's grab a coffee sometime. Let's chat. Let's actually meet in person. And yeah, I didn't think twice. And again, I come back to the fact that he knew that you were 16. You must, did you just turn 16 or were you still 15 at this time? I was 16 at the time that we met, but um, I did tell him at point zero when, yeah. um, when we transferred to Skype that I was 15 at the time. And how did your coffee meet go? So it wasn't a coffee. <laughs> um, let's just say that. Um, <clears throat> so it all started, um, there was um, a swimming bath nearby the house and we met there. And I think, obviously, it's I was hiding it from the family and, you know, everyone around me. <clears throat> so I went and met him there and he picked me up and the plan was to just find somewhere. We'd not said anywhere set in place um, beforehand. <clears throat> So he picked me up and find somewhere. Sorry, just on that. You, but you, in your mind, you were you were going for a coffee. Yeah. Sorry. This yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. So in my head, we were, I was getting in the car and we were going for a coffee and we'd probably have a little chat and then I'd go home and that would have been it. Um, but yeah, so that was literally how I perceived it to be. Um, and obviously that didn't happen. Um, so it got in the car and, um, I remember saying, you know, where should we go? And I was going to Google, you know, things around. And I guess at that age, I'd, I'd not really, it wasn't really my age category to go and just grab a coffee somewhere, I guess. <laughs> so I almost was like, you know, leave, leaving it with him. And I was like, I'll Google, but you let me know what's good. Um, yeah. and, and that was it. And then he was like, don't worry. I think I know somewhere to go. Um, so I was like, great, I don't need to go on Google. Like, that's fine. He's the adult. He knows what he's doing kind of thing. Um, and I trust him. Um, and he ended up taking me to, um, a nearby side road by a farm, a typical, you know, a typical place where you would assume people would go and have sex or you know go you know have sex in the car and things like that it was a, it's such a typical place um and you know i drive by it well i don't drive now but you know if if i if i'm in a car and i drive past it it is so nearby and you know it does bring back the memory but um he took me there and he parked up and yeah it kind of led to a few things um not from my side um yeah. he you know he initiated a lot of um actions i guess not not for the beginning we, we kind of just chat like sat and chatted for a bit and i almost was like obviously this isn't a coffee house <laughs> um uh, but i guess part of me almost knew why i was there um and it was quite at the time it was i wasn't scared at this time but i was just a bit like hmm what's going to happen now, you know? Mm. Um, and I was still almost kind of sitting on, well, we could still go for a coffee. We might just be here for a chat. I don't know. It was quite a strange place in my head to be at that time. Um, and then um, 
I don't know how, I don't know how exactly from this point it kind of ended up being how it was, but we ended up getting into the back and he um, forced me to do things to him and he did things to me. Um, And yeah, that basically was lasted for about 20 minutes. I guess wow. probably longer in my head. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it was, I think in my head it was going on for such a long time. Um, and yeah, like we didn't end up, well, he didn't end up finalizing the final point, you know, the rape. It was rape, but it wasn't obviously penetration, um, mm. which it was a big thing for me like afterwards because I was like well it wasn't rape you know it wasn't the final thing so it couldn't have been but obviously you were telling yourself that that it wasn't rape yeah like when it kind of finished afterwards you know it was a quite a big question was well it's fine because we didn't do the deed you know the the, the actual sex part there was sexual activity within it but it wasn't in my mind, I was like, yeah, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the end part. It wasn't what people do when they rape people, you know? Um, but yeah, so it was, uh, it was everything up until the penetration um, that he, he forced. And at the time, did you feel like, because I guess the fact that you were asking yourself if you'd been raped or not makes me think that you did feel like, a, like you had just been abused to quite a large extent. Yeah, it was, I, I just didn't believe that that was the eventuality of it um, until obviously later on in the stage, which obviously we'll probably get onto. I don't want to kind of go too much, you know, step step over the timeline. But, um, you know, it was at that, at that time, um, it was like, I knew it was wrong, but I felt like it wasn't the end of the world if that makes sense <laughs> because it wasn't but so after it had happened did you I mean what kind of mental state were you in did you feel like you wanted to see him again did you feel like he um you, you know he had some control over you like I'm just trying to figure out like what was going on in your mind at, at, you know both during and after during nothing like I, I almost detached. I mean, you, I've heard other stories, you know, from other people and you just detach. And that's, that's the biggest and most powerful word at that time that I can, that I feel. Um, and still now I probably what helps me speak about it because I detach, I don't look at myself being that person. I look over it as if it's not happening to me. And I guess at the time I completely just turned off. it was as if it was as if life had ended if that as morbid as it sounds um it you know life at that moment wasn't happening for me at all and i guess you feel quite powerless as well because here you are as a school kid in an like a significant someone who's double your age um yeah yeah in his car in a side road i guess no one's around and your options are limited, right? Hundred percent. I mean, what 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 would you do? Like, yeah. I've I've trusted this person for such 
well, you know, for, not for such a long time, not for years, but, you know, th- enough for me to think this would, it wasn't even a thought in my head that, you know, mm. this would happen at all. Well, you've really. spoken every day for three months, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of the whole part of the grooming aspect of, of this and, you know, what what um, what the police had obviously uh, figured out. But, um, yeah, like the whole, that whole process helped him do what he needed to do. Absolutely horrendous, and I'm so sorry you had to go through that. So, I guess in the, in the weeks and months afterwards, what happened? Um, we went home straight away, and then I guess I just well, I, I blocked him. Um, and it, it, the ride home was very strange. Um, that was probably the the bit where the life started coming back, and I, you know, I was still in shock, I guess, but. Um, my mind was I, mean, I don't think we even spoke much and on the way home I think he knew he knew obviously what he'd done I guess and I was just like what the hell mm. <laughs> got home blocked him um never ever ever spoke to him again um that was that was it for me I guess I think I knew I couldn't ever let myself put myself in that position but even then I mean that's incredibly powerful and brave of you to kind of have your wits about you to know that what had what had just happened was so wrong and yeah. even though you trusted him like you, you as soon as that the I guess he'd overstepped the mark in an incredibly abusive illegal and inappropriate way you kind of knew there and then to like cut ties on everything yeah. I guess I guess um it's something that like not many people in my position maybe would have done no, especially no. at that age um and he did have the power he'd groomed me so he'd already kind of He'd already controlled me and what he did, but I guess that never, I'd, I'd never wanted that to carry on because of what he'd done. And I think even at 15, I was, even though it was such a immature thing, maybe for me to do to go on to Grinder, I was still quite mature mentally to think, you know, I'm not prepared to allow that to happen again. And for me, it was that embarrassment of this has happened to me. And I, I, at the time, I was blaming myself for letting myself, you know, get to that point. Um, but, yeah, the whole weeks and months afterwards, um, so I, I, I blocked him and I just forgot. I just didn't let myself go back to, you know, that place again. Um understandably you know I, I felt lifeless in that moment and I didn't want to repeat that or go back to how that moment felt mentally for me and then of course you you know a few years go by and I assume um that you didn't tell anyone right no so um for two years um I'd I'd almost not even told myself. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it, it, it like you'd so compartmentalized it that yeah. you kind of put it in a box and like threw away the key type thing. Yeah, like I mean, I, I studied psychology in A levels, and we touched on you know the subconscious mind and mm-hmm. do, do like you know, and it it really resonates with me because I literally you know it's there, but it's not there. It's it's a very you know you, you push. I pushed it so far under the iceberg as far as I could push it that I forgot and I guess still now there's memories that I hear about it I'm, you know to people now it might sound quite intricate what I'm talking about 
mm-hmm. to me to me a lot more happened um that i i probably don't remember you know online and things like that and speaking of course and things he might have said and things but um yeah so for two years i'd 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 pushed it right to the bottom of my memory um and i would have never never ever ever probably brought this up to anyone again um until the police came to the door when i was 18 right and what and what happened then so you're 18 years old and all of a sudden you get kind of the police knocking at your your family house yeah so i mean it was almost like i knew but at the time i was in um, i was working in a hotel and there was a lot of um stuff happening and you know as a receptionist you you know what goes on in any place the hotel and my first thought was oh, it's definitely something that's gone on at the hotel and there was something at that recent time that I don't know it was I think it was um someone had stole something from a room or something and I thought oh maybe it's this <laughs> um so you know something so trivial trivial or yeah. you know, something not as as in, in deep as what it, what it was um and yeah so they, they turned up and um it was just me and my sister at home and um sat on the sofa and yeah they just kind of sat down and um the policewoman um just said i'm here to speak about mike um and it was as if the whole world had kind of swallowed me up <laughs> if i'm honest and for once for the first time in the whole time ever that you know since that happened i knew that i've now got to force this out of myself um and it was it was tough it was very tough yeah but um i think i almost felt angry to the police for a lot of a lot of yeah. the time um i guess like i would never have wanted this to define me anyway and that pushing it away was me doing that and not allowing not allowing it to you know define me and i was just it was just never going to be spoken about again and this would have never happened i knew that i'd not meet him again i knew that i'd not see him again and that would have been it but yeah it was reliving all of the memories and having to like it was you know the whole the whole um conversations that i had with the police it was a two-year process wow I mean, I'm not sure how I feel about the police knocking, <laughs> rocking up to your door at 18 because they, I mean, it's assuming that you are a an out and proud person and, you know, you're living at home with your parents and I think it's wrong for them to assume that, that you know, to assume that you've got, you know, good family dynamics, etc. But also mm-hmm. it's such a sensitive issue that to just turn up at your house face to face, I feel like is quite a daunting and, you know, intense situation to put yourself in now yeah and that's why you know when I said I was so angry for so long like it it wasn't just that I had to relive it it was it it was literally you've you know what you're doing like I guess I you know I, I I did ask you know why now to them you know this has happened you know for for so this has been not two years about you know for so long um and um I, I remember them saying you know it was a investigation that they took time and you know they, they had they found other people um and they had to um you know locate messages from other people and other young men like me that were going through the same thing with the same person so it, i guess 
they could have been saying that but at the time it felt I felt you do just feel so isolated no one else mattered to me you know um at the very start anyway I was like it's just me and this this is my story you know and you're forcing this out of me at a time that I'm not prepared to do this but also I felt like I had to do it for me and you know for his police sentence so to get um, justice yeah yeah so it, it was such a such a battle of you know two sides of what i should do and what i want wow can only yeah that, that's extremely difficult for you to process it's extremely difficult for me to just imagine what it's like as an 18 year old having this happen to you especially after two years of you doing such a great job of forgetting it and moving on with your life obviously to your point it doesn't make it right because justice still needs to be served Mm -hmm. but yeah that's that's a tricky situation to be in so i guess how long had it taken the police since being first um made aware of his actions um they never went into detail on a lot of other people but all they said is that somebody else has reported rape and wow then the investigation had begun on him um and this person was actually a, a legal age that reported it a legal um, as in over 18, 18 yeah um you know i don't know his name don't know his age yeah. at the time but they, they said this person was actually a legal age and then after investigation they've then found a ton more people who I also younger and the majority of were younger like me. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, there were seven, seven or eight, um, when it obviously eventually got kind of to the closing stages of him actually getting to court. Um, there was, there was, um, a letter that was given from the policewoman to me and it had the names of the people and, you know, it, it was, Nice to see, you know, somebody, other people going through this, but um, they mentioned that, you know, it, that wasn't it. There was more that didn't want to speak and didn't want to put statements out there. So I was one of eight that actually fought for justice against him. Wow. So you were you given the option? Do they, do they kind of say to you, we know this has happened to you. Do you want to press charges? <laughs> so the first, when they first came... The first question was, we're here to speak about Mike and we want to, you know, they play they played it very well because obviously they want a statement and they want people to speak out. Yeah. And they, they played it along as, you know, if we don't get this, he's not going to get any sentence. Um, you know, he's not going to get time. You know, we need, we need this from you, but we also understand you don't want, if you don't want to give it, you don't have to. So the choice was there um, at the start. So that was the first choice. And I guess... I was still very unsure and I just said yes. And I mean, I am glad I did, but at the time it was still hard. And then all all the process, you know, I was given the choice again. Can we take a second statement? Can we take a third? I think I did. Oh, really? There was kind of like how much time and effort did you have to put into it? Were, were they were they keep coming around? Did you have to go to police stations? Like what, like what was that process like? They came to me. I think it was, I think it was purely on the fact of, I, because I'm at home, I probably would feel like I could speak more about it. Yeah. So I don't. I, I think that's why they didn't take me to the police station. They would always come around. But the first time was obviously unknown to me, and the rest was an organised. This is what. This is when we're coming round, and we'll, you know, we'll time, time and date kind of thing. Um, and then yeah, so I think there was three statements, if I remember rightly, and 
obviously the choice of going to court, which I declined. So yeah, there was a few times, obviously, and the choice was there, I guess, but I was still so young and still so ashamed, you know, I was reliving it all. So it was, it was quite Mm. hard to, to still speak out. And were you talking to anyone? Were you getting help? Were you speaking to friends and family at the time? What was kind of that situation like? Um, I wasn't speaking to anyone. I, I did have a therapist after all this had happened um, about about that and, you know, a few other things. But um, at the time, it was the police. Um, my mum and dad now don't really know everything. And, you know, it is has very hard for them to hear. But um, also, at the time, I was still so ashamed. And I, I, remember, I remember having the only conversation with them at that time when the police, after the police came around and obviously I had to tell them it was the biggest thing that had ever happened in my life, you know, at this time. So I remember the, the one and only conversation that I had at that time. And, you know, it was a very emotional and, you know, mum and dad had things to say and, you know, understandably they were angry and things like that. So there were a lot of, you know, there were a lot of emotions, there were a lot of conversations at that moment, but then after then nothing else really It was just with the police. And then you you you've seen thera- you've seen a therapist since, right? Yeah. So um, there were a few other things, you know. There was a, a passing in my family and things, and I think a lot there was a lot of multi there was multiple other things alongside that that had happened that I kind of felt a bit lost um, with myself, and I was just getting more unhappy. So I I, I seeked a therapist, and um, I only did a few sessions, and because I am quite an open person, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm here, I so yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I am quite an open person, but I was losing that, and I, I guess speaking to some random person who I knew was a therapist about all my struggles helped helped me process it in my head because still I was probably pushing it away because I was still so ashamed. Of course. So then fast forward to the to the actual prosecution. Did um what ended up happening? So yeah, so I refused to go to court and purely on I didn't want I didn't want a defence lawyer chatting shit to me, you know. It's <laughs> the, the, the typical defence lawyer that will do anything to make sure that that person doesn't get time. And um you know, a lot of my family was like you know, don't, don't do it. Just, you know, he'll get time. You'll get through it kind of thing. And I was yeah. at, a good, at a better point at that at the stage of the end point. Um, so I refused to go to court anyway. And um, a few others of them still went um, and gave their statements in court. And I guess I gave such, the police said that all accounts gave such strong statements. And such, I'm really appreciating the sirens in the background as we're talking about the police as well. <laughs> yeah, literally. I think it's a police one as well. <laughs> Sorry, I literally by the by the hospital. Um, no worries. But yeah, so... Um, Sorry, so a few of the others still went to court. You, you declined to. Yeah, so the police said everyone's accounts and everyone's statements were so strong and the... Um, jury would definitely see that um, and then I got a call so I knew the date of when the court was going the court case was going ahead um, and I think there was a point where he was reprimanded and then he was taken to court a second time um, and then the second time was when he got the sentence um, and it was a few weeks after that when I got a call, I think, um, and the policewoman called me and, you know, gave me the news of the time. And 
um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a very surreal moment, I guess. I felt relief, but because I was still so ashamed and guilty, I guess, like I was, I felt sorry for him. And I know that sounds, that might, you know, trigger a lot of people um, hearing the story, but like, it, it felt like he's getting time for something I allowed to happen. You know, that's, that was my headspace, which is so wrong. And now it's like, God, like what thought was that kind of thing? But it's just what I kind of was going through at the time. As part of the, I guess, the grooming and the manip- manipulation yeah. and the coercive power and all of that stuff. 100%. Like still in my eyes, I, I still saw him as this nice person, yet he'd done everything that he'd done to me, you know? Um, but yeah, so um, that was it. And he got um, he got three and a half years, which is ridiculous. If I'm honest, um, as in I mean, too low. Yeah, I mean, people get three and a half years for you know, I don't know, burglary, selling, selling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. Sorry, like mm. you know, burglar, like a banana from a shop kind of thing. But like, it, it, it was ridiculous. And I guess at the time, it, I, I was happy that he he was serving. But now, I still live on that. You know, he's out, and this story to me is still so raw. And he's living his you know whatever life wherever he wherever he is with a different name in a different location doing what he wants <laughs> is that is i mean did you get comfort in knowing that he is kind of not anywhere near you geographically and he has got a different identity and all of that stuff yeah it, i mean even if he was around now like i've always said you know it's i know this might sound like an angry thing to say but like he's under my shoe now you know like it doesn't define who I am and he doesn't now I'm in such a good place and it he doesn't affect my life now and you know I'm kind of the person I am because of what happened so if, of course I mean I have seen him once you know um it was really it was, it was about six seven months ago yeah um I saw him um in town walking and it it was like he was no one wow um so yeah I mean Did he see you no no wow it, it was a it was a very it was almost like a point of i'm good you know i've seen him yeah again he needed it almost yeah. like closure yeah yeah definitely. wow so what would your kind of looking back like i guess it's kind of a two-pronged question like firstly were there any kind of red flags that you can spot now obviously at the time had you have done you would have maybe things would have been different and it's just, i'm interested to ask that question because i just wonder if if there are things that you think young people now or potentially parents could spot to prevent situa- situations like this ever happening to anyone else i guess social media is so big now and more so than before when i was you know speaking to him um one of the biggest things, one of the biggest red flags I, I can see now, you know, and I didn't see at the time because I was so vulnerable, um, is, you know, he he was on Skype and he was with a glass of red and he was sat naked. And that for me was, it was like the only time he'd done it as well. And this was after he'd already, you know, groomed me into that, you know, stage of trusting him. So I think, I think if I was to say to somebody else, you know, advice to somebody, I would kind of just say, follow your gut because I think I knew deep down that felt wrong and 
it was almost as if because he'd groomed me, you know, well, it was because he'd groomed me, I, I didn't think twice. So I guess my advice to somebody, you know, going through this or who is going to go through this, um, hopefully it doesn't ever happen, but um, I guess trust your instinct because my instinct was telling me something then and I didn't follow it. And he did well to not let me follow it because of what he did to me. But um, yeah, just, I guess just do what you want to do and be happy, but yeah, only if you know it's safe and if it feels right. Of course. And the sad truth is, is that these situations still do happen and it's not just something that happens in the homosexual or LGBT space it happens in in the straight world as well but i do come back to the point that society has moved on like lgbt issues are part of the curriculum now in schools and mm. we're much more open and accepting i hope of people with you know have different identities and we're much more inclusive than we ever were so my real hope is that there are 15 year olds out there who don't feel the need to speak to someone in their 30s to try and understand who they are And it's just an unfortunate set of circumstances that you felt rightly, actually, in a a number of ways that that was one of your only ways of exploring who you were. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I I know someone now who has said that, you know, she's, you know, she works in a school and she says that people now at my age, well, when I was that age at 15, are Mm. non-binary and they're speaking about it. And that to me gives me, you know, it gives me shivers now, like thinking about it because had I have had, you know, some relation to somebody that was out, at least, you know, I probably had a few friends that I was like, yeah, you're a bit camp, you know, <laughs> you might be gay, but I'm not going to speak to you because you're not out and I'm not out, you know? Um, so whereas now it, it, it fills me with hope that, you know, because of this, you know, schools are aware that this is such a big thing right now, you know, social media and the LGBTQ community and things. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my last episode was with two child psychologists, uh, both teachers, and we we touched on this and talked about how sexuality is, you know, that has probably been like the single biggest change uh, for for students in 2022 versus, you know, I know I'm a little bit older than you, in fact, quite a lot older than you. But when we were at school, um, it still wasn't talked about in, in, yeah. the, in the way that it is now. So that so that is something that should be celebrated. It hasn't gone far enough, but it definitely needs to be celebrated. Definitely. So thank you so much for sharing that story. Like I know that can't have been easy. I certainly found found it difficult as well listening to it it's yeah. absolutely horrendous and i and i can't i know you're in such a good place now um and you're so brave and you should be so proud of who you are and the fact that you're able to come on a podcast and and share your story with anyone listening and I, and i can only imagine how impactful it will be for for people listening um so thank you and the the final section, uh, as is always the case, is uh, me asking you if you've got any sort of words of wisdom or a little letter to your younger self, if you could kind of go back. It doesn't necessarily have to be the 15-year-old self, but mm-hmm. are there any kind of words of advice you would give to yourself? Good question. I guess find your inner happiness is like my biggest thing. I like I was so confused and it left me unhappy, you know, for this, for that time. And it made me do these things, but happiness is such a 
not spoken enough thing these days and you know mental health is you know so big and it is so sad that you know it's such a big thing now but like do what makes you happy is my is my biggest thing and I think that's gotten me through some dark times with with what's happened and I guess you know I'm such a bubbly person now and I'm so open and I'm so honest about stuff and that's really allowed me to be the person I am so yeah I I would say follow the path that you knew you were going to take don't change who you are because of what other people may say or don't feel ashamed of things that somebody else has done to you is is another thing I guess I lived in such a ashamed life and the reason why I'm speaking out because I'm not ashamed and I should never have been ashamed so yeah follow your happiness don't be ashamed of what other people you know what people do to you or what people say about you like be your authentic self and just be happy yeah love that (laughs) what a great word i know i feel like i've said that so so much in this but like it's it's such a you know people are so sad these these days and you know people like reach out to me if you're not you know if someone's listening to this like and if you're going through the similar situation to me or you know you've got a son or daughter or you know whatever in between you know come out and speak to me i'm you know i'm all ears but i guess at that time i never had that so it's it's just if you can speak to people yeah let's keep the conversation going mm-hmm. absolutely thank you so much kieran for coming on today and sharing your story and um yeah just you're you're a great and very brave person so i can't express uh, my gratitude enough no thank you for having me i've um as weird as it is to say i've i've enjoyed myself <laughs> um it's it's been you know it helps me as much as it might help somebody else and that's all that's all i wanted to do and that's great that's great and if i'm ever in leeds i'll give you a shout and uh we won't we'll go for a walk down brigade <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely we'll go for a drink in the only okay. few gay bars in you know yeah, <laughs> in the, the city the two, the two. <laughs> yeah um all right listen take care and uh hopefully see you very soon up north definitely. thank you very much thanks kieran see you bye. Later. bye Thank you as ever for listening to yet another episode of Extraordinary with me, James Wallace. And if you did enjoy the podcast episode, please don't forget to leave a five-star review and a comment on Apple Podcasts. And of course, if you're listening on Spotify, click the follow button to be notified of future releases. And until next time, take care, stay safe, and I will see you very soon.